0: Morning, everyone. Good morning. Brother Bill, you owe me five minutes. How <laughs> many, Brother Bobby, owes me five minutes? A couple of housekeeping things before we begin with our third class. Um, first of all, I didn't mention this on the first day, but there's a very good book by John Collier called Israel, Land and people of destiny and if you don't have this in your library it's a pretty good book on God's people Israel and uh... secondly is there any evening activities after lecture tonight? anybody on the committee? Yeah. Brother, Brother to, uh, a after. okay well then maybe tomorrow night if there's nothing on the schedule uh, I've asked the committee and been given permission to show a Holocaust video, and it's uh, called One Survivor Remembers, and it was, uh, it's was it been distributed by the Holocaust Museum in uh, Washington, I believe, and uh, we saw this last weekend at our conference on communication over in uh, Virginia, and it's very good. It's about 40 minutes long, and uh, it'll go well with the class we have tomorrow. Uh, so anyway, that'll be tomorrow night after after evening services, Lord willing. <clears throat> Yesterday we, we looked at the Olivet, the olive tree uh, allegory and um, sort of prepared us for a discussion this morning in a class looking at, kind of backing up into more history, but looking at this concept of witnessing as God prescribed and and how uh, this this necessary requirement of God was there from the very beginning of creation and so we're gonna today we're going to go back and see why this is so critical and why it was such an important part of the work of God's people Israel. In the beginning the deity conceived this creation for a purpose, for a purpose He created all for his pleasure and for his glory. As a reflection of his glory, there would be witnesses, be a witness to him in all things. Everything that he did was supposed to be a witness to him. The Elohim performed the creation work and man was created in their image, who also are in the image of God himself. Just the perfection, the very good state, Of the earth and things therein are a witness of the greatness of the Creator. Let's look at some verses, Numbers 14 21, and we're all familiar with these. But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. That was His intent in the beginning, and that is still His intent at the end of this creation. The Apocalypse, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. The four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And also in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And we know that this glorification of the earth will only be accomplished when all that which is adverse to God is put down, when all sin and death has been destroyed and this creation truly is a complete reflection of the glory of God and it can be coexistent with him. The deity required a continuous witness of his presence and glory. When the very good state was disrupted by the introduction of sin by man, God wanted the highest form of his creation to be a witness unto him. The sons of God were the class of people that served as his witnesses during the antediluvian 1600 years, in other words, the time before the flood. Let's look at the fourth chapter of Genesis And see how this and the other class of people began to develop in creation. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And Adam and Eve, his wife, and Adam knew knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Skip over to verse 25, 26. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God said, "She hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew." And to Seth, to him also there were born a son, and called his name Enos. Then began man to call. Upon, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. The influence of the nature of sin produced people who did not witness the deity, as did the sons of God. These people who served their flesh and not God were, were referred to as the daughters of men. The oldest son of Adam and Eve, Cain, began this group. Those who followed his way became the mass majority of the inhabitants of the earth during that first 1600 years. Again, in the fourth chapter and verse 8. <clears throat> And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against his brother, Abel his brother, and slew him. Verse 11, And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Verse 17, And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And he built a city, and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Ired, and Ired begat Mahujel, and Mahujael begat Methusel, and Methusel begat Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives, the name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other Zillah. And Adah bare Jabal. He was the father of such that dwell in tents, and of such as have cattle. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all such that handle the harp and the organ. And Zillah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer in in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. And Lamech Lamech said unto his wives Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech Lamech seventy and sevenfold. So obviously there were there were two divergent um, classes of people that developed here in the early stages of the creation. Those who were the sons of God, who offered the proper sacrifices, who followed in the ways of the Lord, they were the witnesses of God. Whereas the other class who basically dwell in sin and follow the ways of the flesh, the daughters of men, or the other. The deity found that man was not pleasing him and was surely not his witness, that is, the mass majority of mankind. He determined to destroy man from the face of the earth, saving only a handful to regenerate a new creation of man in hopes of finding the witnesses that he desired. Let's look at the sixth chapter of Genesis and the state of the condition of the earth just previous to the flood. And it came to pass that when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both men and beasts and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air for it repenteth me that I have made them God did not have the witness that he required only this very few this literally handful of people um, were, were able to understand uh, who their creator was but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord these are the generations of Noah Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Giving over to verse 17. And behold, I even I do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee I will establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And of every living thing of all flesh, two of every sort, shall thou bring into the ark to keep them alive with thee, that they shall make that they shall be male and female, of fowls after their kind, and of cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing of the earth after their kind, two of every sort shall thou come unto thee to keep them alive. And take thou unto thee all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Noah was a righteous man, who fit the mold as the witness of God. He was a preacher of righteousness during the construction period of the ark. He attempted to start, a, to start a new generation that would please the deity, but still sin. the sin nature of man, a curse from the garden, caused man to pursue his own way of the flesh. Let's look at the 8th chapter of Genesis and verse 15. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons, and thy sons' wives with thee, "...bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both fowl and of cattle, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that deity may may breed abundantly in the earth, and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth." Or in other words, regenerate it. And Noah went forth, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth, after their kinds went forth out of the ark." And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, sea time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Chapter 10, verse 6. And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mizram, and Put, and Canaan, and the sons of Cush, Seba, and Havilah, and Septah, and Ramah, and Septahkar, and the sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. And Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod... The mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. So, very shortly um, after the time of Noah and these eight people who survived this this deluge upon the earth, we have a whole new uh, set of the daughters of men uh, coming up and doing once again the things that were being done before. But God promised that he would not destroy again the earth by water as he had done. And uh, we're going to skip this passage here in the 11th chapter and the Tower of Babel. But we know that just in the, in the likeness of Cain, one who thought he knew how to serve God and how to offer his own sacrifice, these people wanted to build themselves a tower to, put, to take them up to God so they could commune with him. And it was certainly the folly of man all over again. Scriptures reveal that God conducted the path to achieving a witness worthy of their calling was to select a man that fit the model of the sons of God. This man would be the father of a nation that would be that great witness. The man he found, a descendant of Shem, was Abram who lived in Ur of the Chaldees. In order for Abram to fill the role of the witness of the deity, he had to obey the requirements of the deity. So God looked out and saw that creation was heading the same way that it was before the flood and He and he took this course to basically establish a nation for His name but He had to find a man who would start that process and that man was Abram. So as we read in the twelfth chapter in the first three verses here of Genesis Now the Lord (laughs) said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So what did God see in this, this man Abram that made him the the ideal vessel that he was looking for. He looked, he looked into his heart, and even though he was in the middle of this uh, worldly uh, city of, of Ur, this uh, somewhat center of civilization, if you will, um, he picked him out and saw that he was the vessel uh, that could do uh, uh, the work that God intended to find this, this nation that he was looking for to be his witness. Let's look at the 11th chapter of Hebrews the faith chapter, and verses 8 and 9, by faith Abraham when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So Abraham obeyed. He did the things which God required. And there was three specific things spoken of uh, here in this command of God, and and they were accomplished uh, as, as required. Let's look back uh, again at Genesis. And he lived in, uh, you might say, uh, the heart of civilization, in Ur. Probably met all the requirements of uh, someone that lived in that day and time and probably had the highest culture of the day. We know the Assyrians uh, and later the Babylonians were, were, I guess, the most advanced nation at that time upon the earth. Uh, 1131. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of, of Haran his son's son, and Sarah his, his daughter-in-law, and his son, Ab- his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came into Haran and dwelt there. So they moved out of Ur. They moved, moved towards Canaan. And they stopped in Haran. And then in the thirty-second verse, and the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. So the requirement of the separation of his father's house was met there at Haran. And then finally, the third condition, the separation from his kingdom, kingdom was accomplished by the separation from Lot. And this is found in chapter thirteen, verse verse eight to ten. And Abram said unto Lot, "Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between thy herdsmen and thy herdsmen, and we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself. I pray thee from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and behold all the plain of Jordan that was well watered everywhere, before the Lord, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zoar." So Lot picked the fertile plain uh, where the cities were. Unfortunately, that wasn't a good, uh, wise choice for him, as we know from later events. But uh, he went that way, and, and Abram went the other. So the three conditions that God required in order for God to prepare Abram to be his witness were met. And he was now ready to mold this man into that great witness to start this nation, that would be his witness. Abram's greatest witnessing attribute was his faith, and, and, and from all the studies that that, that I've made and, and to understand um, the role that, that Abraham had in, in this creation, it was to be the great witness of faith. I mean, he's referred to as faithful Abraham. He is the most spoken of in the 11th chapter of Hebrews. It's obvious that this is the principal thing that God was looking for, and he found it in this man. It was that that one single attribute uh, that that put joy in God's heart. His faith moved him to leave civilization, or Ur, the Chaldees, and to go to this land that he had no idea where he was going. And that, in order for him to to begin this nation, there had to be this special seed, this descendant, that would start that process. And that he was promised it, and it didn't come, and it you know it didn't happen, and and uh, so this was a, a bit of a trial, he tested his faith. Let's look at the 15th chapter of Genesis in verse six. And he believed in the Lord, and it. Counted to him for righteousness. We find this quoted again in Galatians. We find it in Hebrews that he believed God. No matter how long it took, he believed God. Of course, he kind of took matters in his own hands along the way and tried to to make it happen in other ways. But God required that there be a seed from he and Sarah that would be this righteous seed. <clears throat> Let's go back to Hebrews and look at these. Uh, Verses 17 through 19. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom he said, That in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. This was that promised seed. And in order for Abram, here in, this, in his greatest trial of all, to be required to offer up his son, then he must, by necessity, be resurrected. Well, this, this was a tremendous teaching of Abraham of the concept of resurrection as part of that gospel that we know that Paul told the Galatians that was preached to Abraham from before is that he had to understand this concept of resurrection and he did dramatically in this uh, uh, offering. He was as good as, as good as dead as the scriptures uh, testify. The witness of Abraham and his immediate descendants became the foundation of the purpose of the nation of Israel. The roots of the olive tree spoken by Paul in Romans were therefore established on the principles of faith exhibited in Abraham. Let's go back to uh, Romans 11. I think we read this yesterday. In class in the uh, olive tree. 13 through 18. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are are my flesh and might some and might save some of them for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead for if the first fruits be holy the lump is also holy and if the root be holy so are the branches and if some of the branches be broken off and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. These roots of this tree were established in the righteousness and the faith of Abraham. And they became the the source of, of the life of this tree. The life of this spiritual tree, if you will, was from the establishment of these principles in Abraham. Israel as a nation grew in Egypt. The sons of Jacob, or Israel as he was renamed, relocated during the famine to Egypt, protected by their brother Joseph. They later became slaves to Egyptians and took on the habits of the Egyptians as well. So as a nation, they could not be witnesses of the glory of God, that is, in in this sinful state in the darkness of Egypt. They couldn't be his witness. They had to come out of Egypt to do that. Moses was chosen to lead God's people out of slavery and return to the land as was prophesied to Abraham. This deliverance was a great witness of God. And let's look at that uh, prophecy in Genesis, the 15th chapter, uh, verse 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them four hundred years." And also that nation whom thou shalt serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they, shall they come out with great substance. And we know this was fulfilled on the self-same day of this, of this time frame of this prophecy, such that these people did come out and they spoiled Egypt and took possessions of the Egyptians with them as they went forward. Just look at uh, Exodus, the third chapter, and see this calling forth of Moses for this work Moses was another fit vessel for God and and a sure witness of him verses 1 and 2 now Moses kept the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God even to Horeb and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Verse six six through nine. Moreover he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. For I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land, and a large, a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, and the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come up unto me, and I I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians have oppressed them. Verse 16, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord, God your father the Lord, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appearing unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I and I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of, of Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt, and ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, for the name of God Almighty. But my name, Yahweh, was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them of the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard of the groanings of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage and have remembered my covenant. So just as as God had promised them uh, through Abraham, he would deliver them out of the land that he would take them from their taskmasters. And this would be a tremendous witness of God in this act of deliverance. Uh, from the Egyptians which was the greatest nation of that day Israel had become a great nation in numbers the cleansing and redirection of God's chosen people required a righteous law one that was a strong coronal ordinance he had to break them from idolatry cleanse their personal habits and sanctify them in preparation for a return to the land of promise look at the 19th chapter of Exodus Verse 1 In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, and were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, We have seen what I Ye have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice, and indeed keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel." And then... <clears throat> For the sake of time, they gave a response which basically confirmed that they would do that. And then Moses sanctified them and brought them before the mount as God had commanded and they were made holy. They were separated for him. They were that witness which he intended them to be as they now proceeded towards the promised land. Exodus 19, look over there. Verse sixteen, and it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, and that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire and smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount waked greatly must have been a truly awesome sight god's righteous law was epitomized in the ten commandments in order to be a witnessing people before god israel had to begin a law that could regulate their lives and connect them to the everlasting covenant that was obtained by having the faith in abraham so they not only had to have their act cleaned up if you will they had to get rid of these habits that they had picked up in egypt But they had to understand the real intent of the law of Moses. They had to see that greater side of it that would connect them to the everlasting covenant that would give them a hope because this law of cordon and ordinance could not do it. They had to see, they had to understand in these sacrifices what it pointed forward to in the greater sacrifice. Um, Skipping over the Ten Commandments, which were pretty familiar. Let's look at Psalms 19, verse 7 and 8. read the Ten Commandments in your leisure <clears throat> Psalms 19:7, the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul the testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple the statutes of the Lord are right rejoicing the heart the commandment of the Lord is pure enlightening the eyes so were all of his laws and statutes this law was holy just and good The nation of Israel was well equipped with the tools of God's righteous law in order to be the witness that he desired. He eventually delivered them into the land promised to Abraham by his mighty hand. He desired to be their king, using judges to be his messengers, but they rejected this authority. He gave them earthly kings as they desired, but most of them were corrupt. He punished them by delivering them into the hands of their adversaries, but over and over he restored them to their land, hoping they would be his witnesses. By the time of the first advent of Jesus, the law of Moses had been so traditionalized that it was unrecognizable in its practice. The, the one person it was focused upon could not be recognized when he came to them. Let's go to John, the fifth chapter. We're back to this issue of the indictment of God's people that we talked about yesterday. <clears throat> John 5, 16. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. But Jesus answered them, My father worketh her, hereto, hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had, had not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making him himself equal with God. Blasphemy, as they accused him. A couple of these verses um, in John five thirty nine, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I, but I know you that you have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in my own name, him ye will receive. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? When Israel could not recognize the witness of the law pertaining to Jesus the Messiah, God sent John the Baptist to be a human witness, a forerunner, proclaiming that faith had come. More than John, the great witness of God was a manifestation of his power in the life of Jesus through miracles, signs, and wonders. But Israel was so blinded by their own sins, they could not accept him as their Messiah. Again in John 5, and I'm going to read one verse, um, two verses, 30 and 31. I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will but the will of the Father which has, which has sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. God's chosen people did not, as a nation, recognize or accept their Messiah when he appeared in his first advent. Their blindness brought them 2,000 years of sadness after the events of the first century AD. The leaders of Israel, political and religious, conspired conspired to discredit and finally to kill Jesus. Look here quickly at Matthew 26. Verse 1, It came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, you know that after two days is the feast of passover and the son of man is betrayed to be crucified then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and the people into the place of the high priest who was called caiaphas and they consulted that they might take jesus by subtlety and kill him the greatest prophet of all jesus knew about his suffering at the conclusion of his redemptive work required by his heavenly father he also knew the events of the next two thousand years until his second advent. In the Olivet Prophecy, he forecast the terrible events of AD 70. Uh, this is a picture of Masada, or the ruins of Masada. And we'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow. But but Jesus knew very well what was about to happen to his people, these lost sheep who continued to be lost. They would see very much suffering uh, after his ascension to the Father and the scattering that would happen in uh, AD 70. That will conclude for today. Thank you.